Hello, Robert England here, a.k.a. Freddy Krueger, and you're listening to GeeksOfTheIndustry.com. Don't fall asleep. strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. longer than the temples of our gods. No man ever suffered as I did for you, but the rest you may not know. Not until you are about to pass through the great night of terror and triumph, until you are ready to face moments of horror for an eternity of love, until I send back your spirit that has wandered through so many forms and so many ages. But before then, Bust must again send forth death. Death to that boy for whom love is creeping into your heart. Love that would keep you from myself. Love that might bring sickness and even death to you. Listen to them, children of the night. What music they make. It's moving. It's alive. 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 Charm, the pentagram, the sign of the wolf. It can break the evil spell. Evil spell, pentagram, wolfbane. Oh, I'm sick of the whole thing. I'm going to get out of here. Whoever is bitten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Oh, quit handing me that. You're just wasting your time. The wolf bit you, didn't you? Yeah. 
Yeah, he did. Wear this charm over your heart, always. All right, all right, I'll take it. What's it worth to you? I'll give you... Do you dare to show me the wound? What? Do you dare to show me the wound? Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to a very special woo episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com. I am your host, my name is Chunky Larry, and 
in this episode, it's not an interview, uh, but you're also still not going to get the long-winded preamble of, Oh, back in 1933! Uh, no, n none of that stuff. None of that's going to happen. Uh, what you are going to get instead is a conversation that is a much larger piece of a bigger puzzle. Um, I, it, I'm going to say it, you guys. I am Iron Man. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I am the first link in an ever-growing chain of podcasts all coming together to discuss the universal monsters in a thing that I'm... I'm fuck it. I'm just going to coin the phrase right now. The universal podsters. And uh, basically what I, what the universal podsters is, and, and they can adapt that phrase if they want. If not, you know, uh, fuck it, whatever. Um, what that is, is a collection of different podcasts, uh, that have been assembled by Nick Fury, i.e. Phantom Dark Dave, uh, <laughs> Including uh, Dave's own personal show, Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, a show he does with Andy, uh, Black Hat Shadow, Paranormal Pativity, The Back in Time Podcast, Terrible Terror Podcast, B-Movie Bros. Uh, we're all coming together, and we are going to be looking at the world, the expanded universe, if you will, of the universal monsters. We're going to be discussing first-run films within the uh, Universal Monsters category uh, throughout the month of June. And this was something I was invited to do again by Phantom Dark Dave. I'm really excited to be a part of something that is uh, bigger than my own show. And throughout the course of cinema, they've there's always been this mindset of, you know, getting characters to play in other sandboxes and the universal monsters is in, in essence one of the first cinematic representations of trying to do just that and i'm very excited to play even the smallest of parts in this uh, I, i'm going to read off the list of the shows that are going to be happening throughout the course of june uh, going to be getting uh, dracula then the creature from the black lagoon the mummy the wolfman phantom of the opera and frankenstein but we're starting this series off with the 1933 pre-code film the invisible man and i can't do this by myself i need to be invite i needed to invite somebody that i like to speak to uh, a constant collaborator and a man after my own heart and, and, you know, I, I mentioned it before, uh, a brand new daddy, or on his way to being a brand new daddy, him and uh, Miss Sira are with child. And I love the both of them very, very much. And I'm always thrilled and excited when I can say, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Dylan Jarvis, how you doing, my man? I'm good. You always make me feel good before we start talking, Larry. I uh, appreciate it. Well, you that. know, <laughs> maybe one of these days I'll start writing this so I won't stumble the words around as much. But... There's a lot to kind of put together with what it is that's going on because this is the first of the series of, uh, you know, podcasts devoted to the Universal Monsters. We're starting it off, 
you know, beginning of June. It's going to run through the course of June. They're, we're going to be covering through the different shows, Dracula, Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Mummy, The Wolfman, uh, Phantom of the Opera, and Frankenstein. And uh, those will all kind of play out through the course of June, uh, obviously starting with this, June 1st, and ending between the 28th and the 30th with Frankenstein. And uh, it's kind of interesting if you think about it, because James Whale is responsible for both of those films. I, I don't know if anybody else really picked up on that, or if that's just something I just automatically latched onto, but I, I just thought that that was an interesting thing. Um, yeah, it's cool too. Uh, you see it a lot with these early Universal monster movies where they do like intertwine quite a bit. I know um, Boris Karloff was originally going to play Jack Griffin, or he was in, in the running for the role, but I, I want to say he turned it down, if I remember right, because he wasn't going to be in the film until the very end of the movie, but uh, because of like his distinct voice and everything, that's who they wanted to play the role. But you see it a lot through, especially with these Universal monster movies with like Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff and with writers, directors all over the place. They really worked intertwined. And I think it's cool that uh, you guys are doing this podcast thing because it's a similar, you know, a similar thing to it with everybody working together to create a series. Yeah, and you know, as a podcaster, and I, I've I've said this with you a couple of different times, that I personally, you know, like having a community because you know, in essence, that's what we are. We're a community of people that love a certain genre, and we're all doing the same thing. We're all sitting in front of our fucking, you know, personal computers in our home office or. You know, i.e. man cave, which is an expression that I absolutely despise. It sounds like <laughs> asshole. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, I, whenever somebody says man cave, I just think of a dude bending over and just spreading his butt cheeks. Like You get the douche chills? Yeah, I, I get uh, just so much cringe. Um, <laughs> even though, you know, I've got a dresser or a bookshelf covered in, like, McFarlane toys and shit like that. Um... And, and I, I look up and I see I've got the the McDonald's uh, Universal Monster characters. I've got the mummy. I've got uh, the Wolfman, and I've got the Bride of Frankenstein. Literally looking down at me right now as I'm sitting here shirtless, uh, which is just another just fun <laughs> just image for you. Paint, paint the picture. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm fucking covered in sunburn because I went on vacation. Um, you know, for Memorial Day weekend, we went down to uh, San Diego and I fucking burned myself red uh, at, at a goddamn water park. It, but that has nothing to do with the Universal Monsters, so I'm going to get as far away from that as possible because I hate that shit. I hate it when you, people tell you about their boring-ass life. I, it's like, <laughs> I don't fucking care, bro. Tell me about Claude Rains. <laughs> See, uh, to paint a picture for you real quick, like, uh, I was fortunate enough you know, uh, Sierra, who's on our show, my wife, she, mm. she's like super fucking big into the Universal Monsters. And, um, so I have the same thing of the fucking, we got pictures with film cells and she has like the diamond select toys up on the shelf and everything. So it, it's big. And you, I know, you know, for a fact or a fan 
of classic horror films, which, you oh, know, yeah. uh, if, if they should have reached out to anybody, it should have been you, uh, just <laughs> personally speaking, because you are one of those people that really just admire uh, classic films. My personal get down is, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. And, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like the 90s were really just kind of awful time oh, yeah. for for film uh horror films specifically uh but the films that you know are going to be covered in this are from essentially the finger quote golden age of cinema um <laughs> uh i i'll say this about this uh i was never one of those people that really got into these films and uh, it's, you know, I've I mean, seen it's, them. It's nothing against you. I mean, it, everybody has their own preference with stuff. Like, there's things that I don't like in as far as film go that everybody like worships. So it really just goes by personal preference. Um, we were actually gonna we had planned our schedule out a few months ago, and we actually planned to do Dracula and the Wolfman this month, but mm. uh. Steven wasn't able to make it on the episode, so we're going to switch it with something else. I'm not sure what we're covering yet, but I thought it was funny when you told me that uh, all these podcasts were doing Universal Monsters through the month of June, and I'm like, fuck, I hope they don't think I'm like jumping on their bandwagon or some shit. But no, <laughs> oh, you guys I- don't want to invite me? I'm doing both. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, no, we've covered it quite a bit on our show. Um, you jumped on too. Uh, this past January, we did decades in horror. When we did, we went in reverse order. We started the '60s and went to the '20s, and it's interesting to see like the evolution of what horror movies were compared to what they are now. Mm-hmm. Which is why we wanted to do it, kind of see like the similarities, the differences, and there's more differences than similarities for sure. But I, I, I don't think it's anything against you that you don't oh, like I don't the film either. per se, because you know everybody likes their own thing so yeah art is subjective and mm-hmm. you know just because you're not into one thing doesn't mean that you're not into everything so uh, like what i'll say about these films this series of films you know before we kind of actually get into the discussion of this film is that without these pictures and and you had said it kind of in a nice kind of diplomatic way is that this there's an evolution to them i also look at it as a a building block you know this is the base of what everything that i admire and love was built off of and in order for me to have the things that i admire and love there needs to be that that solid base and you know you could say what you will about these films you know they were successful and they created an audience of filmmakers that loved these films to the point that they made their own films and it was those films that I love so mm-hmm. you know there there is that element to it and I and I and I don't you know look down on these films in a way like it's like oh these are stuff I, I just personally um, when I watch them I feel like a lot of the times they fall a little flat with storytelling and I, and I and I've said until I was blue in the face that when I look at a film I don't look at it for the cool things effect wise I will comment on those things but ultimately what I'm looking at is a story and I felt like a lot of the times specifically in the universal monster stuff 
that it was more about the monster, less about the story. And, you know, I'm sure that... A lot of... Go ahead. A lot... Uh, I'm not bad. I was going to say, a lot of it, the... A lot of it, too, they put a lot of focus, especially in these earlier films, on romance. So... Mm-hmm. The, the, what story they have typically revolves somewhat around a relationship or a romance, and it kind of... I, I will say it does get kind of redundant watching so many of these films and they kind of all have the same underlying theme of, you know, oh, this is a monster, but it's swayed by love and, you know, so I, I will give it that. And I'll say that these movies aren't without fault. They are building blocks. They were really the first of their kind, so they're going to have their faults, but it is cool that you know, like you had said, the people who had made, you know, Freddie, Jason, Michael Myers, you know, these, what those were to us, these universal monsters are to them. Mm-hmm. So it is cool to see that kind of inspiration, I guess. And, and you could also go so far as to say, and I've heard this, I've, I've heard this, you know, via social media where a lot of people will shit on the films that I love from the 80s where it was these characters Freddy's and Jason's and Michael Myers and Pinhead I heard uh, literally somebody had written and it just it just made my eyes roll into the back of my head when they they just shit on Hellraiser and it's like it wasn't Sierra was it no but (laughs) it sounds like something she would do Uh, but you know and what I what I've you know, kind of grasped from being confronted with things that I idolize and treasure being shat on is that, you know, there is something to be said about things generationally affecting people. And, you know, that's that's one of the things that I try to focus on with Creature Features is that, you know, these films were made at a certain time and almost... You know, if you if you really look at it, it's the times that essentially affect, you know, the art that's consumed at that time. You know, they're a reflection of their time. And, you know, there's, you know, great filmmakers. And, and we, you know, talked about it when we did uh, Diary of the Dead uh, earlier this week. That, you know, a guy like Romero, who allegorically takes moments in time and encapsulates them in a horror picture and you know his his work was very on the nose where a lot of these films you know specifically the films of the 80s are reactionary pieces of art that are you know reactionary to the times you know you look at the slasher genre you know, kind of coming into prominence uh, right after the women's liberation movement. That's not an accident. You know, that is that is a, to a certain extent, a misogynistic reaction to women being treated as equals. And you know, there is there is argument for that, where you can look at. I mean, to tie it. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, to tie it into the Universal Monsters, I mean, uh, 
they went at, like the Invisible Man, for example, we're going to be talking about. The sequels to this movie eventually became war propaganda movies with like Invisible Agent, where the Invisible Man turned into a secret agent for like fucking military, and it it reflects on what's going on in society. Well, H.G. Wells' original interpretation of the Invisible Man was political. Mm-hmm. It was representative of, you know, being this this unseeable force. And, you know, that, that totally t- comes into play. And so it's, it's very interesting, you know, because all art, all art, you know, not just horror, not just sci-fi or comedy, everything, everything you ever have consumed that has ever entertained you has been reflectionary of, you know, the time that it was made. So where it affects, you know, certain films affect me because I grew up during the time that these films were made and I consumed them, you know, at a, at a close enough time where I was able to understand them. You know, somebody that is, I hate the term millennial, but a, a millennial isn't going to have the same, you know, absorption of that art as I do. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's just like, you know, music, music, is circular you know it it goes through these uh peaks and valleys you know and it's dependent on your age on whether or not you consider yourself in a peak or a valley because again it's subjective uh but uh, again we could talk we could talk in circles about this this (laughs) specific topic you know but we're here to talk about 1933's the Invisible Man, and the way that we get this conversation typically started, even though we've been talking now for quite a while, <laughs> um, is by reading the synopsis for the film. I'm going to go, because I go to IMDb to find uh, the synopsis, and I'm going with Gary KMCD. Um, whenever they cite their names, I'm going to give them the credit. And he says... Working in Dr. Cranley's laboratory, scientist Jack Griffin was always given the latitude to conduct some of his own experiments. His sudden departure, however, has Cranley's daughter Flora worried about him. Griffin has taken a room in a nearby, at the nearby Lion's Head Inn, hoping to reverse an experiment he conducted on himself that has made him invisible. Unfortunately, the drug he used has also warped his mind, making him an aggressive, dangerous, making him aggressive and dangerous. He's prepared to do whatever it takes to restore his appearance, and several will die in the process. Uh, not a bad synopsis. You did good, Gary. Good yeah, way to go, Gary. You, you, you went out there, you played a good game. I would smack you in the butt <laughs> if you were close. Um... But uh, this, this again, is a pre-code horror film. And I don't know if you know much about pre-code Hollywood, but it was a brief period of time between 1929 and 1934 um, where it was almost like the Wild West. uh, And it was kind of throughout the first half of 1934 that... uh, American Roman Catholics launched a campaign uh, 
against the immorality of American cinema. And this is very much like uh, Mary Whitehouse's campaign in the UK um, that you know started the entire video nasties movement in the early 80s with home video. And you know, obviously censorship is is a is an important subject. At least I think it should be for anybody that you know does anything in the world of entertainment. You know, what you can say, what you can't say, you know, uh, just to be timely, Roseanne was just kicked off the air for saying racist and sensitive things, where I think that it was completely within the, you know, pro, uh, the station's right to cancel it because of, you know, their stance on racist rhetoric. I also feel like it's a slippery slope. I think that they did the right thing in the sense that people would naturally not want any part of Roseanne because of the Rose, uh, the racial uh, remarks that she had made. And they would in droves tune out of her show because of what she said. That being said, not giving somebody the option or the choice to make that decision for themselves is really concerning to me and and that's coming as as an african-american man uh, in not giving people the opportunity to make the decision for themselves on whether or not they want to consume something is taking control away from people that are already controlled Politics are a slippery, slippery slope, like you said, and it's something that no matter what argument you make, it's a double-sided argument. Yeah. And it's it it, it makes me hate politics even more every, every day because <laughs> any argument or anything you come up with, I, I like to think logically about things and I re- like to really interpret things, so it's hard for me to speak politically because any argument that I'd like to make for myself i also see the other side of it so it's like well i can't really make this argument because of this but then i can't make this argument because of this so it's kind of like there's no winning and you know with this film it was in this this time period where there was no you know censorship code so there was you know people getting away with things that they wouldn't get away with years later and you know, it almost you know made the entertainment that we consumed for a period of time very, very tame. PC tame. Uh, I don't even know if PC is the term, but you know, it took a lot of the sting out of things that were being said and done. And there were things like, you know, evil has to be punished. You know, it, it, they're they're can't be any kind of sexualization you know and and that was that was something that was very prominent pre-code in cinema is that you know women were treated you know were able to express sexuality but it was an ownership of sexuality and if you if you look at a lot of the films that came out in that pre-code era there there's elements that 
or racy even by today's standards. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, but it's reality. And it, again, it's a reflection of the time. And I, I, I've always, you know, rallied against the idea of a, a unseen entity being able to hold sway over what I'm able to consume. You know, and, you know, I talk about it, you know, because the argument then became, you know, in the latter portion of the, uh, or in the early portion, portion of the 80s with the uh, video nasties, the BBFC and everything like that, it was about, oh, well, kids can get to this. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not your place to tell my children what they can and can't watch. It's my place as their father to tell them what they can and can't watch, what I feel comfortable with them consuming. And as they become adults, they can then, on their own, make that decision for themselves. But until they become adults, that's my decision. You don't tell me how to raise my children. And, you know, um, you know I'd said it on the Zombie 4 episode, but I'm able to say it to you now on the show. Congratulations on becoming a parent yourself. And, and you will... As you, you know, have your son or daughter, I hope it's a son so you can name him Tommy, yes, (laughs) Um, but you'll be able to, because you're a horror fan, say, I don't know if I really want to show them this yet, Mm -hmm. and and it's it's your decision, and that's that's the thing that, you know, is lost on a lot of people. The thing with kids, too, because, you know, we were all kids. Mm-hmm. There were things that when I was a kid, I was told, hey, you can't watch this. But kids will always find a way to watch it. I always did. I'm sure you watched things when you were younger that you were told, hey, you can't watch this. Or did something that you were told, hey, you can't do this. You know, it's that rebellious thing that kids have. Well, so, not only that, it, it's, it makes it more enticing when you're exactly. not supposed to do it. Exactly. You know, and... Uh, I've told the story plenty of times when Wes Craven died I because I have a projector and shit I Mm -hmm. set up the projector out in my backyard and I let my son watch Nightmare on Elm Street that was three years ago four years ago coming on four years Mm -hmm. so he was six he was six and I let him watch Nightmare on Elm Street and that was my decision. Now, there will be people that will look at me and go, oh, you're a horrible parent. My son <laughs> is a straight-A student, you guys. <laughs> like, a uh, very, you know, highly functioning member of society. Uh, we went, like I said, we were on vacation. Him and his mom got up at 5 in the morning to go uh, to the beach before the tide came in. And he went and he cleaned up the beach. Nobody told him to do that. He took it upon himself to do that. Mm-hmm. He's not. It a... goes back to. It goes back to. I, I hate the whole. You know. I mean, it's been going on obviously, like we had said since film began. Of, you know, these films make people violent, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It's how the children perceive those films. If you tell a kid. You know, if you say you choose to show your kid a horror movie, 
let them know this is not real. Mm-hmm. None of this is real. This is a fake. It's a story. And your kid will be fine. <laughs> no kid is going to watch a horror movie and turn into a fucking violent person. Yeah, I, they're not going to suddenly figure out the science to become an invisible man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, but let's let's talk about this film because let's do it. I feel like this this movie it it had the three act structure isn't there. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll say that first first of all. Um, you know, and I'm sure somebody could point out you know where the three acts are. But it, it does not feel like there's a three-act structure at all. You know, I, I mean, the if, if you were to break this down into three acts, I, I would assume it would go as follows. Uh, first act is, you know, Claude Rains coming to the Lion's Head Hotel. Or uh, is, it a, is it a pub? Is it a hotel? It's the, an inn, it's, yeah. It, they, you know... And him performing his experiments, which that that seems like fifteen minutes long, maybe. <laughs> and and it, it you know it feels like it's done for comedy, which uh, James Whale uh, had had a very dry kind of humor to everything that he did. Um, but it, it just I don't know, like the the innkeeper was supposed to be fl- funny. I didn't think it was very funny, uh, but again, you know, a uh, different time. You know what I mean? Uh, mm. So they, because he hasn't paid his his fucking rent, they you know start messing with him. And again, he's supposed to be aggressive because of this drug. So he ends up flipping out on them, going for going on the run and uh, butting up with. Uh, Arthur Kemp, who's yep. his uh, colleague, they both work with uh, Doctor Crinley, I think is his name. But, Sounds about right. Uh, or Cranley. They they both work with Doctor Cranley, and uh, you know, fucking Jack is with his, you know, Doctor Cranley's daughter Flora. But Kemp is, you know, while Jack is away, trying to put the moves on her. He's just like, you know, I love you, baby. <laughs> so it's like, this guy is a douchebag from, from fucking Jump Street. And Jack goes to him and is basically just like, you're going to help me fucking take over the world. And I'll be able to, you know, crash trains and murder people. I'll murder rich and poor alike. And it'll, you know, right the system. Which just sounds like the machinations of a madman, which, again, you know, obviously the drug got into his brain, fucked his, his brain up, and... Which I'm not, I'm, I'm slightly familiar with the H.G. Wells novel that this was based off of, and I think, uh, if I remember right, H.G. Wells said his only complaint with the film was that the doctor was already mad before the drug in the uh, in the book and uh what it is is there were two separate books i believe the other one was called invisible men or something like that and the you know 
being going mad because of the serum, the, the serum turning you mad and making you a, a killer, that was from that book. And Universal had purchased the rights for both and kind of melded the two. But this is a pretty, with the exception of that kind of element, a spot-on adaptation of the book. And yeah, I think, I want to say the only other difference was um, Kemp lived at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And, but, yeah, I, I know that this has been praised as being, like, one of the most faithful adaptions from film to, or book to film, which could be attributed to the, well, no, I can't really say that, because... Well, Wells had final say on the on yeah. the script approval, so you know there's that as well. Um, so it, it's it's almost like if fucking Stephen King had final say on the making of the Stand, or I mean not the Stand, The Shining, uh, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have gotten as good of a film. No, we've seen it. We've <laughs> the, seen Stephen King's version of The Shining. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, <laughs> like. I might get flack for that, but come on, dude. Uh, the the fucking Stephen King version with uh, Homeboy from Wings, hot garbage. The fucking what lost me was the and I know it's in the novel, but the um the hedge the hedge, <laughs> hedge? yeah, and it was it, yeah, and it was like you know it was I think it was the '90s that the, that had come out, so you know it was. It's the worst 90s. CGI, the yeah. worst CGI you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah, so. and and sometimes the, you know, what works in a book doesn't work on screen, and you know, I I think that the the things that they kept and the things they got rid of in this kind of ultimately make for a better film. It, it makes it more theatrical, and you know where. A, a direct interpretation sometimes isn't the best interpretation. The perfect example, I just uh, I just had this com- exact conversation with Sierra the other night, actually, was uh, we were talking about Fight Club, and the Fight Club movie is, like, eons better than the book, mm-hmm. but at the same time, had you adapted the book directly and made that film, it would not have been as big of a movie as Fight Club became. Well, so... And, and that's, that's part of the fact that you know, a director takes creative license and mm-hmm. you know makes a film flow organically. And I and I do feel that uh, Whale made this film flow organically. Where you know the the scene where they crash the train, you know he he talks about it earlier in the film when it when it comes to B, it's like oh shit he really fucking did it. Or when he you know launches the guys off the cliff you know it's like he's really doing all these things that he said he was going to do it wasn't just big bravado talk because that was that was another thing that i always really despised about um movies and in this time period is the stuff that they would you know they would uh tell instead of show yeah and so you'd hear them tell these legends of things that they did that you would never get to see on screen and it kind of makes it makes it a scarier thing because you have the invisible man who has this plan oh i'm going to take over the world which is like you know it's become such a cliche thing but you know you get these these villains that are like oh i'm going to take over the world and then nothing happens so then you have 
this man who's a genius, he's obviously capable of, you know, making some sort of impact, and you actually show, yes, he can, you know, fucking kill people, crash trains, cause chaos, and, you know, it doesn't, it gives him the credit to make him a scarier villain. And you also, you know, the, here's my biggest issue, is I never gave enough of a shit about Jack. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they gave me no reason to give a shit about him. You know, you, and, and I don't need everything explained to me, but I think if you had him, you know, because movie opens up, he's already invisible. Yeah. There, there's no, there's nothing about, you know, uh, you don't get to see who he was before he's invisible, because when the movie opens up, he's invisible. So you, you don't know the change in his character except for Flora telling you oh you've changed so much Jack you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not enough because I... it doesn't it doesn't give you any sympathy for the character whatsoever where you have um, like Frankenstein's monster you know he was misunderstood he was a misunderstood monster and the wolfman too it's a curse exactly. it's, it's a gypsy exactly. fucking curse and you you get to watch him you know deal with being scratched and, and you you follow him as a human so when things happen to him you give a shit and with this you just don't give a shit he's he's just kind of maniacal and he laughs like an idiot <laughs> and, and you know flora and her dad are useless in this movie like her dad's there just to say expository dialogue and Flora's there to be the eye candy for both uh, a guy who has no eyes and an asshole and I believe in the uh, in the book if I'm not mistaken they either weren't characters at all or they weren't important characters well they weren't Uh, important characters in this for sure yeah well I mean they were kind of put in there to be you know, like I said before, with the whole like romantic aspect, you know, you have to have some sort of romance in the film, mm-hmm. and I feel like that was their the sole purpose of having them in. Um, I'm just and again, her do. dad is just literally he's expository dialogue. He's mm-hmm. he's there to tell you exactly what you're going to be dealing with. Uh, you know, he's there so you don't have to have any of Jack's backstory. You don't have to see him, you know, doing the things with the with the bleaching agent that turned the fucking rat white and all that stuff. All that stuff doesn't need to happen because of this one shitty scene of dialogue that he delivers like a fucking wooden piece of shit. And it's like, no, dude, no, give me give me fucking story, give me character development and progression. And I and and to say that that's asking too much of a film from 1933, I just want to point out that fucking King Kong was released in 1933. <laughs> King Kong's one of the greatest movies of all time. I'm just, that's that's not an exaggeration. That movie is terrific. To this day, it holds up. It's better than the Peter Jackson film. Uh, personal fucking opinion. Um, the 1933 King Kong is the best King Kong. There, mm-hmm. There've been several attempts at doing King Kong, None have had the imagination and, like, just storytelling magic 
that that first one was able to accomplish. And that's with, you know, stop motion animation. And it fucking works. And it well, works we had, really goddamn well. In terms of uh, character development and everything, too, I mean, we had covered Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, which came out 13 years before this. Mm-hmm. And that movie dives in deep. Exactly. So, there, it, yeah, it's There's not no really dialogue and it's fucking a deeper exactly. dive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, I feel like his character wasn't needed to show that Griffin is a threat because you're kind of given that right off the bat that Griffin is a threat and there's ways to show that without having this guy you know feeding that to you I'll also say you know that Griffin tells Kemp I'm gonna kill you tomorrow at 10pm which is also very much like Caligari where you're gonna die tonight mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, not for nothing you just put that out there um, <laughs> but between the time that he tells Kemp that he's going to die tomorrow night at 10pm he's able to sabotage a train throw people off of a cliff and uh, rob a bank and throw money in the streets nigga is on foot <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you telling me right now this motherfucker on foot is able to get around all these places and still fucking be hip to what they're gonna do with Kemp, like, and be privy to the conversation. He, he's the invisible man. He's not Superman. Like, if they would have killed Kemp and then had him do all of those things after, totally different. Totally fucking different. As the manhunt ensues and he's still doing these things and fucking with police, totally different. To have those things take place between the time that he tells Kemp that he's going to kill him tomorrow at 10 p.m. <laughs> and 10 p.m.? No! that He's a scientist, but that scientifically doesn't make any fucking sense. I, I think my biggest complaint with this movie was I felt like the end was a little anticlimactic. Mm. Like, they, the way they find him is he's asleep in a barn and the hay starts moving yeah and then they burn the bar the barn down which is the exact same way they had killed frankenstein's monster by burning the windmill down like they are able to assemble hundreds hundreds of police officers in the length of this time of time of this dude being asleep yeah like like the 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 convenient time lapses in this <laughs> like motherfuckers are riding bicycles <laughs> from the police station to this farm like A where the fuck did you get all those bicycles <laughs> B how did everybody like how is the man who was able to get from the farm to the police station and then you guys are all able to fucking you know find your little bicycles mosey on out to the fucking thing collect cordwood to fucking set the fire and like it's just and then you know everything's too convenient yeah um but then they do these things these really hyper convoluted ways of catching him they 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 lay the soot on this fucking on the uh wall uh where it's it's so thinly padded on there that the slightest touch will cause a disruption which a cat barely a cat a fucking cat is able to you know prance up there 
and just a shit ton pours on this fat dude. <laughs> I just want to point out that, like, a good chunk of this movie, homeboys just run around naked, causing yeah, chaos in the snow. <laughs> like it's snowing when he arrives at the lion's head, and then it's sunny when he's riding the bike away. He was there for a week. <laughs> for a fucking week, he comes in in a fucking snowstorm, and then it's sunny and dry a week later. That's not how snow uh, works, it bro. Snowing, it was snowing when they caught him at the end, wasn't it? Because yes! they saw his footprints in the snow. Yes! <laughs> I'm not, in, in that defense, I'm not sure where this movie's supposed to take place, but where I'm from in New York... It will be summer one day, and the next day you'll be in a foot foot deep blizzard. So, I'm sorry, dude. Uh, that 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 might be one thing, but that snow is not going to go away in a day, <laughs> and then and then come back to the point that you're able to leave snowy footprints. Like, you know, it it was it was done out of convenience. I like the fact that they had them all go in single file so they would be able to track the snow prints. I, the, and let's talk about this because I, I think that, you know, this bears being said. The, the effects that they were able to accomplish in 1933 to make a man invisible were fucking incredible. They yeah. took, you know, they had Claude Rains wear a black velvet, um, fucking, bodysuit and shot him against black velvet so then they could then mat you know the background and everything together like put it all together there's a point where he, he's standing in a mirror I believe and he's taking off the bandages or putting them on I don't really remember but you know so then you know in order for them to do that they had to shoot it four different times they had to shoot the mirror, the, the stuff inside of the mirror, that shoot the room, that shoot him and doing the action, and, um, you know, then they had to shoot him from behind to get all of those and then mat them all together. Like, that's, that's fucking masterwork. <laughs> that's one thing that I do admire a lot about these older movies, and in particular the Universal Monster movies, is, you know, they were innovative. Yeah. They didn't have a lot to work with, but they used what they had to work with and they had to think. Like, these people are genius level coming up with shit like this. Like And uh, you have people like like, you know, Lon Chaney who you know like the makeup, the special effects, everything, it was so well done with what they had mm -hmm. for the time. And you see it a lot to um you know, as film goes on, like, perfect example, fucking Evil Dead, which is my favorite film. Watch, I had just watched a documentary about it recently, and, like, they were using latex paint and literally anything they had because they didn't have a budget to afford special effects. Yeah. And the end result was truly fucking creepy. So... It's something that I admire a lot about these older films more than modern day films because, you know, everything is so easily done these days where back then they didn't have, you know, post-production editing and 
CGI and any anything that could help them even the slightest bit get what they were trying to achieve. They had to create everything from hand, from scratch, and make it work. So, fucking kudos to them because it's a patience and an art that I has definitely died out for the most part today. And when you look at a scene specifically, like when the the innkeeper comes up into the room and the bottom half of his mouth is uncovered, so it's just empty, but there's that, the bandages on the top part of his face, and he pulls that fucking uh, scarf over his mouth, like that shit looks amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know... This movie is fucking 85 years old. <laughs> 85 years old, and they were able to do something that fucking, like, like it, it feels fluid. It feels like it's in the moment, and, you know, you don't really, you know, there, there are places, like, when he's stripping off and he's just the shirt, you can kind of see some of the matting. But then there are moments like that where it's just a throwaway shot. But it's so fucking effective. And I can only imagine being in the theater in 1933, watching this film and not being able, you know, not being privy to the fact that they have these techniques that they're creating and revolutionizing and it just looking like a magic trick. And, and, and I think that's what, what is. I think that's I think that's a major part in what made these movies so terrifying is, you know, today it's so easy to go online and like access and look into how they did these shots and tricks and everything. But for someone who has never made a film, who's never dealt with special effects to go into this theater and watch a film where film is this relatively new thing. And you see this, which today by our standards, it still looks fucking great. Yeah. And to see that and say, Holy shit, this dude is legit invisible. Like that's going to add some fucking curiosity and, some horror to it which it, i think that plays a major role in what made the universal movies so effective and i will say about claude rain's performance which is essentially just his voice i mean mm. you know uh, it's so big like everything he says is big and you know his mannerisms are big everything about it is is larger than life and it really kind of creates this madness that exists and, and it really works yeah this is what really launched his career too i mean he had gone on to do like casablanco which is regarded to be like one of the biggest movies ever made yeah you know i the what i'll say about this movie um because I'm sure that you want to start wrapping things up soon, is, you know, story is kind of, you know, they made it a little too convenient, like we had said, but everything else, the effects, the acting, even the way it was shot, were so well done, and you could definitely see a level of, like, respect and care. Like, these people cared about how this movie looked, they cared about their performance, they cared about how the movie was done. It wasn't sloppy. It wasn't just thrown together to get the movie out. It was precise. It was clean. It was, you know, it was art. Mm. Back when film was still art. And whether you like the film, you don't like the film, 
like you had said, you have to show, you have to have some sort of respect for these films because chances are whatever your favorite, and I'm not speaking directly to you, Larry, but I'm saying like in, in a broad spectrum, yeah, whatever, worry. whatever someone's favorite horror movie is, chances are it wouldn't be there today had it not been for these films. And just so you know, I'll never forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I say you when I talk, but it's kind of like a broad you. I, I didn't want you to think I was saying, like, fuck you, Larry, you don't like this movie. No, it, it's a broad you. How dare you Anyone not like, like this movie? <laughs> and I never said I didn't like this movie. No, um, no I know. I, 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 I meant in a, in a broad sense, anyone listening to this episode. I, I will say this, though. Um, of the Universal Monsters films, the ones that I like are... Frankenstein and the Wolfman. I'm not a big fan of Dracula. I'm not yeah. a big uh, like. I liked Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, like I really enjoyed it, but I felt like the ones that had the most story and heart were Frankenstein and the Wolfman, and that's ultimately what I you know constantly go back to. And my minor bride of Frankenstein because I feel like it really expanded on the whole Frankenstein story, mm. and I. My favorite of all time is Creature from the Black Lagoon, but I feel like it had that kind of jump on the rest because these came out in the 30s, that came out in the 50s. Mm. You know, they had more technology and, you know, they were able to get those underwater shots and everything that probably wouldn't have been able to be been achieved in the 30s. But. Exactly. Um, I guess we could talk very briefly. I think it should be just noted. Um, that they were setting up for a dark universe uh, finger quote where they were going to rebrand all of the universal monsters for modern audiences and uh, the actor who was going to play the invisible man in the dark universe was Johnny Depp um, you know they they did the mummy I guess uh, that Dracula the one that they did uh, Dracula untold Untold was supposed to be the first part of the Dark Universe. <laughs> so <laughs> see, I, I I liked Dracula Untold. I didn't look at it as a horror movie, but you know, Dracula is based on an actual person. So yeah, it was kind of cool to see that story. But uh, the new Mummy movie that had come out, I didn't even give it the time of day. Oh, I, I watched it. It, it was fucking brutal. And, uh, they had, um, is it Russell Crowe as, uh, Dr. Jekyll? Yeah, and he was supposed to be, like, the Nick Fury of the, the movie, like, tying everybody, all the universe together. Yeah. And it, I, I hope that they learn from that experience, because I, I believe they, they pulled the plug on it, right? After yeah, the mummy. Yeah, after the so mummy bad. tanked so fucking viciously. Yeah. These are classics. They were good for their time period, but they're not going to resonate with an audience today. And taking the foundation of these movies and turning them into this fucking blockbuster action movie, it's not going to work. Yeah. Uh, like, they were scary for their time. I think making them an action film, uh, an action series, was the biggest mistake. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dracula Untold, I, I enjoyed, but... I feel like like I I didn't even look at it really as a Dracula movie, you know, it was a medieval fucking They didn't push the whole like, oh, this is Dracula, he's gonna like 
it wasn't the Dracula that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mummy, this more recent one that came out, it, does, it didn't even look like it took from the original story at all. It looks like it just fucking made its own story and gave slapped the mummy name on it. Yeah, it was hot garbage, dude. And, and oh boy, yeah, not a, not an enjoyable uh, cinematic experience. We had reviewed it on Geeks on Film, and I regretted fucking having to sit through it. Like it, it, it's a really bad <laughs> movie. Um, but I, what I would say, should they decide that they want to revisit the Universal Monsters, let it happen organically. Let mm-hmm. the audience want to see these things. And and I'll go so far as to say that more often than not, even the nostalgic fans of these movies, like I said, the, this film is 85 fucking years old. Anybody that saw this in the theaters is dead. Yep. Anybody that watched these movies... You know, as a child, you know, and enjoyed them and would want to go see them in theaters is on death's door. I'm just, I'm just saying, dude, like, that's not, that's not an audience you want to appeal to. And on top of that, you can't make a franchise based off of a name. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone ever say, man, I'd love a Bride of Frankenstein remake. Never, ever have I heard that. Exactly. You, you get these modern or more modern incantations of it. Like, for example, Jaws was extremely reminiscent of Creature from the Black Lagoon mm-hmm. to the point where they had very similar shots. They had similar things, but it was made modern to make it scary and to appeal to that audience. Here's so a better example. Take, the It remake take, or the, the new adaptation of It. Yes. That is made for this current audience. And mm-hmm. so there's a constant scuttlebutt via social media of people like, oh, the 1990 miniseries is the best, and oh, no, the, the new one's better, and, and all the acting in the 90s miniseries is garbage, which uh, I'm just going to say it right now, you're full of shit. The 1990s miniseries is terrific. The acting is fucking great, specifically in the child portion, because you can buy it and you, you feel it. You feel that, that camaraderie and it doesn't feel forced. It feels natural. And, you know, you have, uh, an air of nostalgia for a time that you didn't even fucking exist in. So yeah. <laughs> just, just it's the same thing as like, there. it's the same thing as stand by me. Exactly. You know, the fifties, you feel like you're friends with those kids, but I wasn't fucking alive in the fifties. So. Exactly. <laughs> so fucking go somewhere else with that. Um, <laughs> You can like something without trashing something else. Yeah, and it's like going like with Jaws and um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. You can draw inspiration, but don't build something off of a name. Exactly. It's okay to make a film and have you know elements of like fucking Jason lives. The way Jason gets brought back is exactly like how Frankenstein was brought back and it was so heavily or Frankenstein's monster got brought to life and that's so heavily inspired by it but it's not like they were like oh this is a Frankenstein remake no it was its own thing that drew inspiration yeah you you so access elements that are mm -hmm. reminiscent of some other work without blatantly stealing yes (laughs) and I think that's where this whole dark universe thing fell flat and I'm I'm honestly Glad so fucking happy it did because yeah. I couldn't 
Like, I didn't even watch The Mummy, and I was fucking triggered. I was pissed. So, <laughs> I saw the trailers, and I was like, fuck these guys, fuck Tom Cruise, I hate this guy. But, you know, I don't think I could have bared... And The Mummy, I mean, we co- we've covered The Mummy before, and I've said straight out, you know, this is by no means my favorite Universal movie, but... I, I could only imagine what I would have done had they gone through and released a remake of Bride of Frankenstein and Creature from the Black Lagoon because I believe that they had announced like Scarlett Johansson was going to be in the new Creature movie and I'm like, oh, don't do this, please. <laughs> I mean, they already released a better Creature from the Black Lagoon remake. It was called The Shape of Water. I have yet to see it. It's a fucking I, fantastic movie. It's something where like... I feel like I have to be in the mood to watch it, and it, it hasn't struck me yet. So. It's like Amelie fucked the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yep. Literally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quite literally. Uh, so, uh, Reapers, where are you landing Reaper-wise um, for the Invisible Man? Invisible Man, um, I respect it. it. It's by no means my favorite Universal movie, but... You know, it was innovative for the time. The acting was great. It was shot nice. I'm going to come in with like a 3.2. Uh, I'm I'm going to come in roughly in the same ballpark. I'm going to I'm going to come in at a solid uh, 2.8 where I feel that the film is important visually and I feel we we kind of got through most of this. Uh, it just, from a story standpoint, falls very flat to me. So I can't rate it incredibly high. Um, but, you know, just for the things that they were able to accomplish in 1933, visually, it's absolutely impressive. I just, I felt like some of the motivations weren't really kind of explained. But uh, with that being said, of course, it is now time for plugs, my man. Tell them what you got. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Horror Haven Podcast, on Twitter at Horror underscore Haven. Um, we're about to cover, I know that this is coming out Friday, um, so this week we're releasing seven. Next week we're going to be doing a Dolls episode with Dolls, Taurus Trap, and Dead Silence, which I believe Larry is on for. So keep an eye out for that and be sure to follow along. Definitely very cool, man. Uh, I will do my best to make it onto the show. Uh, it's getting hectic, uh, like the like the song says. It's getting it's getting it's getting kind of hectic. Uh, summer is approaching quickly, quick quicker than I could even begin to express. So uh, yeah, that that is what it is. Uh, but we are going to be continuing this Universal Podsters theme. Uh, throughout several different franchise or podcasts Uh, so you'll be able to continue this series very shortly with uh, the Back in Time podcast they're going to be covering Dracula Uh, then it's going to be Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Mummy The Wolfman, Phantom of the Opera and Frankenstein Uh, lots of really cool stuff going on Uh, you know we've got uh Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, the B-Movie Bros, Terrible Terror Podcast, uh, the Black Cat Shadow, Back in Time Podcast, uh, Paranormal Pettivity, and us uh, over here at Creature Features. I genuinely hope that you guys 
have enjoyed this episode and that you go out of your way to search out these other podcasts. If this is your very first episode of Creature Features, but you've enjoyed the conversation, you want to find out more about us, you can do that in a couple of different ways. You could start by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash creature pod, and by following us on Twitter and Instagram at creature pod. Um, we are going to be keeping this, this kind of, this one came up a little bit earlier than finishing the May of the Dead theme, just because time gets away from me. Um, as as is just kind of customary with this show uh, things different differentiate from the way that they should be going but that being said we will have the last two episodes of may of the dead releasing after this episode so we're gonna have uh diary of the dead and uh let sleeping corpses lie releasing this coming week I just, you know, I was I was on fucking vacation, you guys. It shit happens. I tried to get them all done. Uh, it, it just didn't happen. But uh, other interesting things that I think you should absolutely check out, specifically, if you're a filmmaker who's been trying to get your movie in front of an audience or part of a production and want your crew to be recognized for their work, be sure to check out the first ever Southwest Michigan Film Festival. The Southwest Michigan Film Festival is now taking free submissions from now until August 15th. Yes, that's completely free. There are no submission fees, and your film does not require premiere status like many other festivals. Short documentaries, feature-length films, student productions, there's a category for every single one. And there's even awards for uh, categories for performances, cinematography, visual effects, and more. Entering is easy. Just visit filmfreeway.com and search Southeast Michigan Film Festival. From there, you can find a submission guidelines um, and instructions on how to enter. That's filmfreeway.com. Search Southeast Michigan Film Festival. Selected films will be shown to a film festival attendees in November at the big, on the big screen in a 1,400-seat auditorium in Metro Detroit. Get your audience, get your film in the theater in front of an audience that's ravenous for fucking cinema rather than somebody that's going to be just kind of dismissive of your hard work. Get your hard work shown in the coolest way possible that that is fucking huge and it's free so it, it only costs you the time and will to say fuck it and try southeast michigan film festival you guys and again that's filmfreeway.com you search out southwest michigan film festival um you know uh, after we're done churning out the episodes of may of the dead we're going to and i think i talk about this um a little bit during the let sleep in corpses lie episode but maybe not i'm just going to talk about it now uh we're going to be delving into we i talked about universal monsters in this universal podsters theme but going forward i'm going to be discussing 
my generation's universal monsters, and I'm talking, of course, about Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, and Michael Myers. Uh, you know, for each generation, you know, there are these monsters, these characters that are larger than life, they create their own franchises, and in the 80s, it was definitely those three that were kind of the top of the pops, if you will, and we're going to explore all of them. Now, if you are a listener, a constant listener, you heard uh, where this show started. This show started as me covering Nightmare on Elm Street, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, I enjoyed doing it so much I did the Friday the 13th series. I'm redoing them with the new format so it's not going to be beat by beat. Those episodes are not going to get deleted and thrown into the abyss of the internet. They will still be there for anybody that enjoys that old style. I personally don't and I want to try something different with this series, uh, with these series of films and so I'm, you know, enlisting some very interesting people uh, who've been involved in the world of Nightmare on Elm Street as well as uh, you know Friday the 13th and Halloween people that are legitimate genuine fans of these films so much so that they've gone out of their way to try to create them themselves uh, lots of really interesting stuff I'm I'm trying to be as ambitious as possible uh, that will lead us well into October, uh, where we will also have the Horror Hall of Fame. Uh, trying to get all of this stuff done, you guys. Trying to get it all together. Year two of the Horror Hall of Fame is coming. All of these things are still, you know, on their way. So I hope you guys hang out with me for the summer, because uh, we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite monsters that aren't the universal monsters <laughs> so uh you know lots of fun again i want to thank phantom dark dave and uh you know black cat's shadow and, and all of the guys that allowed me to be a part of this really cool fraternity of podcasters discussing the universal monsters and like i said go out of your way go listen to back in time uh they actually just did an episode on sleepaway camp that I think is really fucking cool that you should check out. Uh, do I agree with all their opinions? Probably not. But I think you guys should definitely give them a chance because they're a really well-produced show and they're the next step in this series. Uh, next up will be Dracula. I just, I can't wait to hear their take on Dracula. And I think you should too. So again, go subscribe to all of the shows. Uh, with all that being said, for Dylan Jarvis and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Listen with someone you trust.
Here, what's all this? Keep back there. Keep back me? Do you know who you're talking to? I give you a last chance to leave me alone. Give me a last chance. You've committed assault, that's what you've done, and you can come along to the station with me. Come along now, come quietly, unless you want me to put the handcuffs on. Stop where you are. You don't know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing, all right. Come on. Get hold of him. Lock him up. All right, you fools. You've brought it on yourselves. Everything would have come right if you'd only left me alone. You've driven me near madness with your peering through the keyholes and gaping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. There's a souvenir for you. And one for you. I'll show you who I am and what I am. <laughs> Look, he's all eaten away. <laughs>